Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, and I am joined tonight by Joe, and we'll be joined later this evening by our friend Neil to discuss the cancellation of this year's Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, to begin the episode, Joe and I will be discussing Taylor Swift's newest album, Folklore, which, as we begin recording this evening, I see online, has achieved number one status, and it's 2020's biggest number one debut, according to Pitchfork Magazine. So first off, uh, before we get to that, Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing well. You know how it is. I do. Back I do. on the show. Glad to be here. Give me a quick summary of what you've been up to while uh, staying home and all that stuff. What have you been watching, seeing anything good? Just watching whatever I can on the, on Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and Amazon Prime and basically everything that streams because you can't really do much. <laughs> Um, Running out of shows. Yes, I am. But, you know, and just uh, every now and then you do some work, too. So that is true. That's how it is. Do a lot of streaming, a lot of Internet searches, a little bit of work, and then the routine continues. It's almost like uh, before the quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Nothing's changed on that front for us. Uh, So, Joe, uh, we're going to be talking about folklore tonight. Um, You and I not too long ago, talked about Lover, Taylor's previous album. We gave a very positive review to that album. Uh, this, uh, this new release was a surprise album. No one knew it was coming out until about 24 hours before its official release when Taylor made an announcement on social media services. My first question for you tonight is, uh, can you please tell our listeners how you found out about the release and what was your initial reaction? So I initially found out about the release by a text from you that yes. uh, let me know that the album was coming out. And I have to say, my my heart started racing immediately. And of course, it, it might have been about four o'clock in the morning, but I <laughs> immediately uh, went to, uh, you know, learn everything I could about this. Yes. And the, the everything was out already. The track listing, the, um, you know, what her posts were that talked about it. Uh, you know what she was looking to do, so it, it was it was an, a great time in the Taylor Swift fandom. As everybody who listens to us knows, we love Taylor Swift. So yes, big fans. Uh, it took me totally by surprise. I was in my house, happened to open up Twitter, and I saw one of the highlighted stories was that Taylor was going to be releasing the surprise album. The biggest pop star that had previously released a surprise album, I guess, is Beyonce. There had been yeah, a surprise probably. Album. Anyone that That's I'm missing. No, well, I mean, there are people who release surprise albums, but I think Beyonce is certainly the biggest. That's the last one she did before the most recent. Right, right. Like you, Joe, I was very excited. We immediately got some previews of images from the album. It was clear from the start this was going to be a digital-only release, except for the eventual release of CDs and vinyl, which are, at least, I, I shouldn't say are, because I don't know if this is currently the case. They were exclusively available through her website, so you and I ordered right. both the CD and the vinyl that day. Absolutely, you had to. Um, it's amazing, out- Joe, by the way. You know, people ask us to do work. Maybe we get to it in two weeks. People <laughs> tell us that we have to pre-order <laughs> the physical version of a Taylor album, and we do it within minutes. <laughs> it was 4 o'clock in the morning we are ordering that. But, you know, we had to order that because there's a, a, a 17th song that's, that's only available on those albums. You have to get it that way. Yes, but um, she actually put out eight versions of the album with different covers and different liner notes and everything. So she knows exactly what she's doing, trying to boost sales. I I don't think these sales those sales will even count towards the um, first week sales since they're not out yet. 
Right. I, I think that's true. Uh, the numbers are going to be very fascinating to see develop. Uh, so this was a big deal. Now, I, I guess my next question for you, Joe, is the album comes out. How did you listen to it? What streaming service did you use? I used Amazon Music because mm-hmm. um, that's basically what I use the most of. I I like that one the best. So that's basically what I stream everything on. And it was, you know, it was front and center when you open up the app for that. So right. I just listened to the album all the way through, you know, start from song number one. So there's 16 tracks on the album. So I went all the way down and that's, it was great. I think it's important to note that this album was written and recorded entirely during this quarantine period, recorded in isolation. She linked up with Aaron Desner from The National, Jack Antonoff, who she's worked with before, and some songs were written by Taylor herself. Uh, but it was recorded in isolation, making this one of the first truly quarantine albums to be released. I think I heard Charlie XCX released a quarantine album as well. Yes, I, I saw that. Uh, I, but I, I didn't can't comment on that. Yeah, I didn't listen to that. And I don't even, yeah. Taylor takes over everything. Taylor takes over everything. Uh, I guess uh, the natural question for you is just to give your overall thoughts on folklore. So it was, once you read her posts, you know, it it looked like it was going to be a very um, slow thinking type of album, you know, more suited to like the fall slash winter type of album. you know, effect if you want to go like that. And it was exactly what I thought it would be. It's a singer songwriter type of an album. I mean, it's being classified all over the map, like from country to alternative rock. Mm-hmm. I don't see that, honestly. I see it more like a singer songwriter. Um, kind of, it, it goes with the album's name, Folklore. It, it works perfectly. Does it remind you more of a, let's, I mean, to me at least, it reminds me more of like a 90s singer songwriter versus a 70s singer songwriter feel. I agree. I mean, I wouldn't call her Joni Mitchell or anything, but right. it's it's certainly more of a. I'm I'm trying to think of somebody from the '90s that it would it would be like, I, you know, it's it's almost it's, like uh, like Fiona Apple or yeah, uh, maybe even like a Sarah Bareilles who's not really from the '90s, but it's just something I'm thinking of right now. I, I could see it more like that. Right. I I agree with that. Uh, the album is surprise. It's surprising in a way that it was released. This summer, one of the commentaries that I heard, which I do agree with, is that given that it was a quarantine album and we're still probably going to be in the situation a few months from now, it would have made more sense for Taylor to release it during the fall because it kind of captures the fall aesthetic, even in the cover artwork. But I think that's perhaps reading too much into it. I, I don't think there's anything to that. I, I, I like that she released it now. There was mm-hmm. no buildup. There was no promotion. She put it out, said, here it is. If it was done, it's done. I, I'd rather get it as soon as I could. Yeah, one of the uh, things that made me think of, uh, that I was thinking about is now that this has been released like this, I never really want to build up to another album again. I would love all these albums to be surprises. I mean, think about what she did for Lover, which was months of teasing like the song, you know, it, and the album and the way it looks and having murals on the wall where people went and get their picture taken with wings and everything. Right. I, you know, who wants that? I don't need that. I, I like it this way. It's unnecessary. I would love for all these albums to be surprise releases. Uh, before we comment on the pauses, because I, I do I, I do really like this album a lot, uh, let me ask you this. Are there any negatives that you want to get out of the way? Um, not very many. I mean, I love the album. I think it's it's great. I you know, I I actually like it more as I listen to it more. Mm-hmm. Like the first listen was good. The only thing I will say is I think it's three songs too long. Okay. I think if she had 
cut out some songs. I can't. I don't know if I can even pick them. But if she just made a few less songs on the album, it would be perfect. I and the album clocks long. in now. It's what is it like an hour? Give or it's take. It's a little bit over an hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's um, and that's just you know, it's a, it's a good length. I mean, I I love Taylor Swift, so more Taylor Swift songs are great. But listening to it as an album from track one all the way to track sixteen, it gets to be a bit much. Right. Yeah, I think it could be shorter. I think a negative for me is that at some points in the album, some of the songs count, sound kind of similar, so it gets a little bit repetitive that way. Uh, that would probably be my only, th- those would be my only two negatives. It's perhaps a little too long, and some songs sound a little repetitive. But just when you think it may be getting a little bit too repetitive, it goes in a different direction. And something right. happens on the track listing which takes you by surprise. For example, when the song Betty came on, that song is not it's it's a different sound. It's much more of a throwback type sound, which you're not expecting to hear on this release. It's it it took a sharp turn left when that song appeared on the album, at least for me. No, me too. I mean, I think I actually texted you right away that it it should have been on Speak Now. You know, that was yes. that kind of sound, in my opinion. It fit um, well with Speak Now, except she curses in it. And I don't think the Taylor well, should Speak Now would have would have cursed. Yeah. Speaking of that, what was your reaction to hearing Taylor repetitively curse on the album? I like it. I think it's great. You know, <laughs> she's she's 30 like years old. She's 30. It's, she's not 13 anymore. So I think it's yeah. great. That's strange, by the way, to think of these pop stars. What did you think, old? Scott, when you first put on the first song, which, you know, song number one is called The One. When you, when you first put that on, what was your thoughts? I was very happy with the track. I thought it was catchy. I thought it was fun. I liked the lyrics. Uh, it... One thing about the opening track is that it seems to me to be a bit poppier than some of the songs on the rest of the album. So when this, the rest of the album became a bit more like we've talked about, singer-songwritery, it, the, the one, which is the opening track, just to me sounded a bit more like it could have been the opening track of Lover, quite honestly. Yeah, I could see that. What about you? What was your take on it? I thought it was great. I mean, I've, like I said, I liked it immediately, but and it's getting even better as I continue to listen. But I, I thought the one, it's still one of my favorite songs on the album. Agreed. Did you see that? Brie, I sent you a cover. Brie Larson did, did that, right? She did a cover yep. of the one. I saw that. It's a good cover. Yeah, it is. I, I, I was like actually, I, I do too. I mean, there's a lot of covers on YouTube. I was watching a lot of um, reaction videos to the album. Everybody seems to like it. Yes. You know, some more than others, but I haven't seen anything really negative about it. Except yeah, even. Yeah. Couple well, like the New York Times, there. John Carmonica, he was not a fan of it in a huge way. He didn't hate it at all. He didn't hate it, but he was not as crazy about it as some others. But that was probably the most critical review I heard, and it wasn't a bad review of it. It was okay. That was the only, I, I would call it a negative review. That was the only negative review I found. Right. Right. Uh, by the way, it's interesting because the one I'm looking at the track list here was written Co, uh, co-written by Taylor and Aaron Dessner of The National. So I would not have thought Aaron Dessner would have written something as poppy as that. Uh, before we get to some of the other songs, do you know there's a songwriter on this album? They think it's a tr- trick name. William Bowery, have you heard about this? I've heard about it. Nobody knows who that is, and he's never, you know, if he even exists, he's never been in any music capacity at all. Who do you, do you what do you think? The rumor is that it's her current boyfriend, Joe Alwyn. I can't now, imagine it's not. It's like in the 60s when Paul McCartney wanted to see if he could write a hit song for another artist but not use his real name as the songwriter. He wrote a song called Woman. 
for Peter and Gordon, but he wrote it under the pseudonym Bernard Webb. And the song was a hit, actually. Yeah. So William Bowery is Paul McCartney as Bernard Webb. <laughs> I mean, there's really, you know, eventually that'll come out just like <laughs> Nils, uh, you know, whatever her own alias was when she wrote for Calvin Harris. <laughs> That's um, right. That's right. It, but, you know, there's a, there was a, I've seen a ton of um, investigatory articles about how did this guy <laughs> came to be. There's a William Street in London. They, you know, there's a Bowery Ballroom in New York. There's Bowery Street. It's who knows, you know, what this means. But I, I, I love um, Exile. So I'm glad that whoever that is wrote it with her. It's a great song. And, and let me ask you this question, Joe. Give me a few of your highlight tracks from the album. So I like Exile a lot. I like the one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I like August, and there's a song called Illicit Affairs, which I really did not like when I first heard it, but now it's grown on me a ton. Mm-hmm. And my favorite track is Betty. Favorite track is Betty. What? Why is it your favorite? I just I it I it's it is a throwback sound. It's more of an upbeat song compared to a lot of the other songs. They're all very slow, and they're more of a it's more like a songwriter. You have to listen to the lyrics. And mm-hmm. while Betty has that, I, I just like the, you know, the vibe to it. I, that's, I think that's my favorite. Yeah. You know, one of the complaints from some people about this album is that they like the poppy Taylor. They like the Taylor of 1989 and Lover and uh, Reputation, some of the pop tracks on there. And so do we. I mean, we're huge fans of that Taylor Swift. But Taylor has always been a songwriter going back to her earliest days uh, who is very personal in her writing. And uh, the songs may have a lot of production on them, but there is real depth to the lyrics. Right. This album kind of strips away some of the production we've seen on previous tracks. But the lyrics are confessional, they're personal, they're exactly why she is well-regarded as a songwriter. It's just not as instantly accessible to a lot of people as, let's say, Lover is, her previous studio release. Because this, the melodies are... Not as poppy. I think they're beautiful melodies. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm not saying that they aren't, I should say. But it, it's not as it's not made for uh, hits one like some of her other albums were, were made for. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, she is a songwriter and you know she could put out whatever type of music she wants. You know, she's put out so many different kinds. She's tried. You know, she's even dabbled in a little bit of hip hop with Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I, it's interesting. I'm looking at the Amazon uh, music list of the album and it tells you which tracks are the most popular. Yes. The one and cardigan are the two most popular, which makes sense because it's one and two in the album. But right. then exile is the next most popular, a song like Betty, which you would think might be up there because of the, you know, it's a, a little bit more poppy in my opinion. It's not anywhere near the top. It's all the way near the bottom actually. So I thought that interesting. was interesting. Yeah. Have you watched the YouTube lyric videos for the album? Oh, of course. I watched them I right think away. they're really good. They are good. They actually could be the, the regular videos for these albums. Yeah, so what I'm talking about is that from the moment it was released, Taylor also released on her YouTube channel lyric videos for every single one of the tracks. And they're very simple videos. They're not complex music videos or anything like it, but they just showcase the lyrics from the album. And as Joe mentioned a, a couple minutes ago, this is an album that is meant to be listened to from a lyrical perspective. You really need to focus on the lyrics, and I think it enhances your appreciation of the album. And those lyric videos easily enable someone to do that. I think they're a really unique way to experience the tracks on the album. Um, yeah, and they're, in my opinion, they're very cool. If you watch the one for, I know I'm going to say this again, but for example, Exile, 
Right. The song is two people singing. You know, she's with Bonnie Vare. He's singing part of it. She's singing part of it. And the lyrics for each part are one on each side of the screen. So it mm-hmm. shows you kind of who's singing. Like, these could be the regular videos. I actually like the lyric video for Cardigan better than the actual music video for Cardigan. Right. Yeah, I was not. Cardigan was the first uh, real music video for the album. I, I wasn't into the music video. I think the so- I like the song. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the song, but I like it. And uh, I like the song more than the video. I find the video to be just... No offense to anyone involved, but I'm I'm just not a huge fan of it. The video. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's okay. I want you know what? I watched it maybe twice. I won't ever probably watch it again. I have no need. Right. Right. I so. don't think the interesting thing about this as we as we uh you know, to prevent the show from going too long tonight, I want to get into the Halloween Horror Nights discussion. Typical Taylor Halloween Horror Nights show, like happening everywhere with podcasts. But uh Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get any live performances emanating from this album because of what's going on in the world. It would have been a really cool thing for Taylor to embark on a small theater acoustic tour, which would have worked really well with these songs. I don't think we're ever going to experience that just because of the pandemic. I don't don't think so either. I mean, maybe at some point she would do a one-off show somewhere. You know, this this would work something like Radio City Music Hall or... Um, the Beacon Theater or something, you know, more than MetLife Stadium, for example. You can't yes. you can't sing these songs in MetLife Stadium. No. So, I mean, I don't know how I would get into a show like that, but I'd figure it out. <laughs> Hope to but, win a contest through SiriusXM <laughs> or something. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're going to get a real concert from this other than maybe a one-off and then, you know, maybe some sort of a video. I don't know. Uh, I wonder if there will be any – I mean, we have that song coming out on the physical version. Whenever we get that. True. Uh, the lakes, right? The lakes, yeah. Uh, but I, I wonder, hopefully this pandemic won't last too much longer and then we'll be out of this and not need to get any more quarantine content. But I wonder if we'll get anything else from these sessions. I don't think so. Probably not. I mean, Well, actually, she did re- release an alternate version, I think, of Cardigan. Um, really? Yeah. She. D- it, you have to look it up. I- okay. So that was interesting. Um, so she has the lakes coming out. So maybe, the, you know, she has a lot of those songwriting notes about the song that she has on here. She'll probably put some of those out. I could see that. Um, right. Other than that, probably not. So my final questions for you tonight about folklore are where would you rank the album in Taylor Swift's canon? It's a really, that's a really tough question. I would put it three or four. Mm-hmm. That, that's very tough. I, I would probably put it at number four, probably behind... Uh, Red 1989 and Speak Now. Red 1989, Speak Now, Folklore. Okay, I see that. I see that. You like it more than Reputation. I love Reputation, so it's hard for me. It's like it's like asking which of my kids you like the best or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's I, I don't know. I, I might even put it higher. I might even like it more than um, 1989, for example. I, I don't know. Right. Rob Sheffield, our favorite music journalist, huge Taylor Swift fan, right? Love yes. the album. Gave a great review. He has compared Taylor to actually uh, Paul McCartney on several occasions. Do you look at Taylor as a Paul McCartney-esque songwriter? Yeah, definitely. I do. She has so many different sounds. You know, she can write a song about in any type of music. Um, The lyrics tell stories. I I, I like that. But of course, Rob Sheffield's two favorite bands in the world are the Beatles and Taylor Swift. So, you know, he's going to compare it to that. I can understand it, but I agree. What do you think? 
Um, I could see exactly what he means. Uh, for me, Paul, it's the number one of all time, but I could completely see what he means comparing Taylor to Paul. They both have these ability to write deep songs, but also these these poppy tracks. Uh, they yeah. have a tremendous sense of melody, both of them. Um, I know Paul gets knocked around sometimes for people that aren't a huge fan of his lyrics, but I think a lot of his lyrics are poetry. Uh, Taylor, certainly, I feel the same way about. Um, and I, I, I definitely see the comparisons. I think Taylor's a better songwriter with her lyrics, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I definitely see the comparison. They're totally different er eras, different people, different everything. But I could see them making the comparison. I, I wouldn't laugh at Rob if I, you know, no. talk to him. No, about he's he's the he's the master. He's our favorite music critic, and uh, absolutely, it's because of the fact he's a fan of people like the Beatles and Taylor Swift. You don't find, you know, I, actually, I was going to say you don't find many people like that. But I think in the music critic world, people that like good music, they tend to like a lot of the same artists. Like, for example, I know people who love the Beatles and the Beach Boys and other artists that I'm a fan of, and they also love listening to Frank Sinatra and Michael Jackson right. and Taylor and so forth. I think if you are a fan of melody, you're drawn to these artists. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it really comes down to you know what music sounds good to you, and if you like just good music, you can like anything. So uh, I would say, Joe, that uh, I love Folklore. I think it's a tremendously strong album. I do agree with you in terms of your placement on the rankings list. Um, there's one song that I think you and I have a little bit of a disagreement with. I love Mirrorball. I know you're a fan of it, but not as big as I am. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I don't like that song that much. It's okay. okay. I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm going to turn it off. I right. was trying to think before we uh, started recording what my least favorite song on the album is. That might be, if that's not my least favorite, it's probably second to last. You know, interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I do love August. I think August may be my favorite on the album. I think because I love the lyrics, I love the melody, and I love this way her voice sounds on that track. August is a great song. I really like it a lot. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. The, the only song I really don't think I like that much is Epiphany. Epiphany is not one of my favorites. Um, I'd have to go back and listen to Hoax, the final track. I can't really play that in my mind as I try to think about it. Hoax is okay. It's a, it's a, actually it's a pretty quick song. I mean, Epiphany, the the if you look at the lyrics, it's really it's a good song. I think it was about her grandfather who served in the war. Oh, okay. Um, which you know makes it in my mind a little bit better, but I just don't like it that much. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's my least favorite one. Uh, the other interesting thing on, though, before we get to the Horror Nights, is that the song The Last Great American Dynasty, which is track three on the album, tells a story. And I didn't realize until I researched the album that she was singing in that track about the woman who lived in her house in Rhode Island that she eventually bought. That's right. Rebecca Harkness was her name. She Very was good a, job. Uh, Very good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I think, you know, she was an eccentric, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what you would call her now, but. Like a, an like an a, a wealthy, yeah. An heiress. Right. Um, but it's a great song. I mean, it, you can picture it in your head as, as this woman is going about doing these things in my mind. So, right. See, that's an example. When I first heard that track, I wasn't that into it. But then when I learned the backstory and I listened to it more and more, it, it grew on me and uh, I really enjoy that song. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, like I said, the more you listen to the album, the more you like it. So. Agreed. It grows on you. Uh, but anyhow, that's folklore. We definitely recommend it to our listeners. We've talked about Taylor a lot on the show, and just like with Lover, which we reviewed not too long ago, uh, we gave it a great review. We give this a great review as well. So check out Folklore. And now we're going to be joined on the podcast by Neil. Neil, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? 
Good, good. Good to see you guys again. Hey, Neil, how are you? Good. How about you? All right. Good, what have good. you been up to uh, while staying home, Neil? Uh, just cooking, movies, the TV shows. It's really, uh, it's it's Groundhog Day every day. Just uh, just getting through, <laughs> waiting for this whole thing to be over. But uh, every day is one day closer, so that's that's good. How many masks do each of you own? Well, I, I actually have two that are on the way right now, but uh, I, I used the bandanas following the guidelines that I, I believe the CDC issued about mm-hmm. how to hold the bandanas. So I was using those because I had bandanas in the house, and now that masks are more readily available, um, uh, I just have a couple and I wash them and do it right. the right way. Yeah. Joe, how about you? I only well, I only have the Under Armour um, sports mask. Ooh, that's a good mask. I've seen that advertised. Yeah, it's a great mask. And then I use the disposables. I prefer those. I just feel like they're a little bit lighter. You know, the uh, the blue ones that come out. Yes. Of the, you know, so I have. I, if you want the answer, I probably have about two hundred masks at home. <laughs> right. But they're you know they're boxes and disposables. But the the, the Under Armour sports mask I actually recommend. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. That's good. Um, I wanted to have everybody on the show tonight because we. Go every year for the past few years to Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. For our listeners that aren't familiar with this, Neil, Joe, and I have a Halloween-era tradition where we will fly to Florida, or Neil already is in Florida, and we um, go to Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party on the Friday night and Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights on Saturday night and do other fun stuff the rest of the weekend. Uh, we made the decision before these events were officially canceled not to go this year just because of everything going on in the world. But Disney went ahead and canceled Mickey's Not So Scary. That happened a little while ago. And Universal, just within the past week or so, made the official announcement that Halloween Horror Nights was canceled. And I wanted to have everybody on the podcast tonight to just talk about this, get our thoughts and feelings out there. We know many of our listeners are fans of Universal Studios and fans of Horror Nights. And... uh I'll begin by saying that when the official announcement came from Universal, I was surprised and I was not surprised. And I'll tell you why I was surprised first. I was surprised because they really did seem to be making preparations for the event to go forward. As recently as the day before the official announcement, I was seeing YouTube videos from vloggers that I follow going to the theme parks and showing developments in the park that would seem to be directly tied to Horror Nights. So it seemed like they were going to go with some modified version of the event. But then at the same time, I would, and then the next day the announcement comes, it's canceled. So that's why I was surprised. At the same time, I was not surprised because it was very hard to see how even a modified Horror Nights could take place in an era where we're talking about physical distancing and not wanting to, you know, try not to touch a million different things. We know what that event is like in terms of the haunted houses and the proximity you have to other people. So it it would seem very hard to pull off. And also because it was also surprising because Universal was selling a hotel package that included Horror Nights. So it seemed like they were going to do something. But uh, I was not surprised, but I was surprised, too. So, uh, Neil, how did you feel when the announcement came out? Uh, Well, you know, I sort of already had it in the back of my mind that, you know, since we weren't going to go, that, uh, you know, just trying to look forward to next year and hopefully uh, everything will be smooth sailing for that. But I I wasn't surprised and I think they made a great decision and what must have been a very tough decision. I really, uh, it's a huge event. There's a lot of jobs that are involved in that and it really has become a a tremendously uh, well-known 
event of theirs. I, I was, it's obviously upsetting to think it's not happening and there's something final about it, but it's the right decision. Uh, you have, in my opinion, there really is no choice. In, in terms of what you were just saying, I think a lot of it is that Universal probably was waiting to see how they could do it and monitoring the situation out there. Uh, because there does take a lot of time and preparation to get ready for uh, an event like this. And I think they probably saw the rising cases. So I think they probably monitored it and said, there's really no way we could do this in, in a way that will keep uh, both the employees and the guests uh, safe and enjoying the event. Right. So I think they made a, a, an excellent decision. It must have been very tough. Uh, you know, and I, I'm just really excited for the following year. And I really... Uh, um, I, I really appreciate that they that Universal really put their employees and guest safety uh, as the priority uh, here. Um, but I'm obviously going to miss it a lot and uh, uh, can't wait for it next year. It gives us something to look forward to once this is all over. It'll be amazing when that happens, and it'll be a really special uh, event to be there uh, after this is all over to really enjoy it. Joe, what are you? What's your take on where we stand with all this? I mean, I agree with Neil, actually. It, you know, it was it's too bad that it was canceled this year. It was the 30th anniversary. You know, the They never announced any official houses, but the rumored haunted houses were, to me, perfect. Um, so I was, I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. The only thing that really surprised me was how long they waited. You know, Disney canceled Mickey's Not So Scary a long time ago, comparatively. But you're right, right up to the day of cancellation, they were selling hotel packages. They had ads out for scare actors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people make plans around these things. So I was very surprised they waited so long. I, I assume they were trying to just figure out some way to make it work. They probably put a lot of work into it already. Um, but I'm hoping they just hold it off until next year and put mm-hmm. the same stuff out. And, you know, it, that by then, hopefully things will calm down and we can go and have a great time. I, I just there was no way it was going to happen this year. I'm not surprised they actually did cancel. I couldn't imagine how just by the, the very dynamics of the event. I mean, you're you're packed in there with thousands of people. Yeah. There's, the scare actors are right there, and they're you know you're you're bumping in the people in front of you and behind you, and there's there's no way you could do it, yeah. in my opinion, to in, in any kind of social distancing other than cutting capacity by like into twenty percent or something, which isn't worth the money, you know, for them yeah. to do it. When we seeing the videos of the store that opened up. Yes, I was going to uh, talk about that soon. So go ahead. This is the uh, tribute store. Yeah. That. They did such a great job just seeing some of these videos that have been posted. When I saw that, I was like, oh, this this looks so cool. They did everything was just perfect. And the, from the merchandise inside to the theming of the store, it just made you want this whole thing to be over and just to go there and really enjoy it. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, it just gets you more excited for next year when, when uh, uh, it'll be uh, – time to do it but what it looks so much fun just to walk around there yeah so the store from what i could see in uh, i guess tim tracker's video uh, that he released i haven't seen all the videos yet it seems to be comprised of two main rooms the first of which is dr frankenstein's lab and it's so detailed i remember that brought back memories last year of going to the tribute store with you guys and just the detail in the store itself was absolutely astounding it was so breathtaking yeah. Such a great store. The attention to detail throughout all of Horror Nights. I, I do think it's kind of strange, by the way, that the tribute store is even up. I wonder if it was open with the expectation that Halloween Horror Nights would take place, but now that they've already put all the care in setting it up, they're just going to leave it up. You know what I mean? I wonder if it was planned for it to go up. I think they have to, but they probably have all the merch that is already ready to go. They might as well just sell it. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, they have I think a, people will buy it, which is good for Universal. Uh, you know, just to uh, if if they made it and it's really really cool, just to be able to make some sales during this time is is a good thing. Yeah, their uh, revenue at the parks has taken such a major hit. I think I saw maybe two days ago that it was down ninety four percent this year. Some massive massive number. Uh, but the merchandise sales are strong, and they just released this whole retro line of merchandise going back love to the it. old Universal logo, which we love. I mean, they got everything from T-shirts to glasses to face masks with the old Universal logo on there. Uh, there is a market for Halloween Horror Nights merchandise. I know when that stuff was released onto the website, the store website, they um, the store shut down because of Internet traffic. I know I'm considering buying some stuff from the store. Halloween Horror Night T-shirts are some of my favorite uh, pieces of uh, apparel and merchandise yes. around any event or any theme park to, to get. The style is always just terrific. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I know you were a fan in particular in terms of what was released of the classic monsters from what they called Fright Night. Yeah, Fright Night I thought was great. I would uh, I would buy all of that right now. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's my favorite too. What do you think uh, next year will be? I guess a big debate among the Halloween Horror Nights fan community is, well, this year was the 30th anniversary of Halloween Horror Nights, and it was going to be a big deal because of the fact that it was the 30th. So what are they going to do? Let's assume it, the event takes place next year. Is it going to be making that the 30th? Are they going to do so. that? You do? I think I that's think what so. the plan is. I thought that I heard that somewhere. Now, I don't know. It may not be verified, but I right. thought it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the 30th anniversary but it'll be the 30th running of it so yeah. i think they could still do it right i think so too by uh, the way guys another thing that took me by surprise about the, this cancellation is that they were i don't know if one of you mentioned this but they were holding auditions right up to the cancellation from what i understand and there were even rumors from uh reputable sources that there was a commercial that was going to be filmed involving jack the classic horror nights icon yeah. promoting the event so it I think what may have happened is that the numbers in Florida just were going up too much too soon, and they didn't feel that they could adequately have the event with those numbers. If this was a contained situation, maybe it would have happened, but the way it is now, it's very hard. Uh, so a couple of questions as we uh, wrap up this discussion in tonight's show. First question for both of you guys, and then I'll answer, is what in particular are you going to miss the most about Halloween Horror Nights this year? Joe? The thing I'm going to miss the most is when you walk through the gates of the very first time and you're moving with a mass of people into the main area and just the anticipation of going to each house one by one. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great answer. Neil? You know, I think I, I agree with Joe. There's something that's just so exciting about that part. I also really like when we do uh, Mel's and we get some food after we're, we've already accomplished most of the houses at, at that point. Uh, right. And then at that point, we can That's decide great. which ones we want to go back to. And it's just like a great time to just sit down, relax, rest our legs, and get some um, good food at, a, at one of my favorite spots to eat in any theme park. And then it's like, let's go finish up the houses we didn't get to and go back to some of our favorites. And uh, that, that's just a great point. And usually it's getting kind of late there and it's, uh, it's just, just one of those things where like, wow, this has been so much fun. And, uh, and then you also, I, I, another thing that I will miss is I love the scare zones. I, I, could, I just love hanging out in the scare zones. My, my favorite scare zone, 
uh, from when I started going here is the purge. I, that always yes. that, that that has been my favorite so far. And I, I did Definitely. like um, Rob Zombies was a lot of fun as well. Um, so I, I will miss just kind of hanging out there as well. And that's another thing. After we usually do that, uh, where we take you know our break and have some food, we go back to the scare zones because there's less pressure to try to get in as many houses at that point. Well, guys, those are great answers. Uh, I tend to agree with you, Joe. My favorite moment is probably when you walk in at the beginning of the night. But another moment that I'll mention is after you walk in, and we usually go to one of the major houses first with the express pass, there's a moment where the evening is still young. You have so many hours to go, so many places to see at Horror Nights. And you're caught up in what you've already experienced, which one year was the Shining House, the next year was the Ghostbusters. You know, I remember that. And then we, right? If I'm, I feel like I'm missing one. No, there's Stranger Things in between. The point is, the opening house is really right. great, and uh, you know, you have so many great places to see, and the night is still young. You know what I mean? So you have, there's that moment of this is going to be a great night, guys. My last question for you about this is, given that we are looking at a scenario where during Halloween season, there's no Mickey's not so scary. There's no Halloween Horror Nights. Other events are going to be canceled. What are you going to be doing to celebrate the Halloween season? Right uh, when you look ahead to it, what are you anticipating doing to bring in the Halloween season when we can't do all of this stuff we love to do? Joe, I will uh, probably just stay home, watch some scary movies, and you know, just think about uh, getting there next year. Are you going to be ordering any Halloween decorations? Nothing wrong. Nothing other than normal. Probably not. I mean, I already have a Halloween tree. You do? I do. Did you get it at Orange. Um, yes, I did. I want to get one of those, actually. I saw that advertised. It sells out quickly, I hear. Yeah, you really should get one, though. It's fun. Yeah. Um, Neil, how about you? Yeah, probably the same. I'll probably just put on maybe a, a classic horror film that I love, and maybe I'll put on a new one that I haven't seen. And uh, uh, sometimes I can like watching the uh, older TV shows. I used to love as a kid uh, a lot of those shows when the Halloween episodes would come out. Um, so that could be something fun to do. And now it's you have easy access to a lot of these shows through the streaming services. So um, maybe try to find some of those. But yeah, probably just uh, watch some movies and, and, and look forward to next year. Absolutely. I think, yeah, whole, I think that's I think what... going to be very strange just in general. I think it'll be a very strange time uh, uh, it, it's sort of like a lot of the holidays that have passed. It's, 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 everything is very different because there's something usually social on some level with holidays. Right. And there's just that part of the equation is obviously not, uh, really available right now in the same sense that it was before. So, um, it's true. Yeah. Every major holiday, it's like, it's the holiday and there's some component of it. That's just like it always is, but it's not complete. It's like, 20% of the normal holiday, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for Halloween, I anticipate, like you guys, watching scary movies, decorating the house. I know that in Orlando, they're opening up a drive through haunted attraction. I actually followed them on Twitter on the podcast account. So oh. we'll see what's going on with that. But uh, That's interesting. I just can't. Uh, it's not going to be the same. I think there is going to be a greater reliance on all the stuff that we can do at home, just like we've been doing for all along for these past few months to enhance the Halloween experience. And I'll be very curious to see what, if anything, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Shudder, the horror streaming service will be doing 
to create a unique home experience. I know on Shutter, they just released on Friday, I guess it was, I texted you guys about it, a movie, it's under an hour long, that was filmed entirely on Zoom, taking place from what I understand during the coronavirus pandemic. It's a Zoom horror movie. And it yeah, got pretty that. good reviews from people that have seen it. They said it's a real edge of your seat horror film. Uh, I wonder if anything like that will be coming out closer to Halloween to just deal with the situation we all find ourselves in. It's going to be interesting to see. I wonder if Hulu is going to have one in that series that they have in connection with Blumhouse Studios. Into the dark, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if there'll be one of those. Uh, I, I always enjoy watching those when they come out. You will have to see. Yeah. Uh, and we'll be talking about this again. We obviously talk a lot about Halloween and Horror Nights on the podcast. Um, that, that helps, too. It does help, too. Absolutely, talking about this stuff. So this is the part of the podcast now where tonight, Neil, Joe, and I will tell you a Stuff We Love recommendation. This is where we talk about anything from a movie to a song, album, podcast that we're enjoying right now. Joe, what's your Stuff We Love this evening? Uh, one thing I'm enjoying right now is the uh, PlayStation 4 exclusive video game, Ghosts of Tsushima, which um, is set in ancient Japan. You start off as a samurai warrior and basically transition into uh, a uh, ninja type of warrior. And it, the game is open world. It, the story is amazing. And I, I highly recommend the game. It's great. I can play it. I can literally play it all the time if I had wow. time to do that. So. Um, very cool game. The graphics are amazing. It's on PlayStation 4 only. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima. 83% approval on Metacritic, which is an aggregate score of all these critics. That's phenomenal in the world of video games. 96% of Google users like that video game. That's tr Those are tremendous scores. I would I would be, put myself in that category. It's great so far. Of course, I'm not very good at it. I've just started <laughs> playing it. But it's uh, it's still a fun game. I, I actually, I know, I'm embarrassed to say this because I love video games. I never heard of it. If you like uh, Japan stories, ancient anything like that, I you should check it out. Very cool, great recommendation, Joe. Thank you, Neil. What do you got tonight? Stuff we love. Well, I know it's something that Joe loves as well. We speak about it often, and that's uh, uh, the TV show Yellowstone is back, and uh, I, I love that show. I, I, I highly recommend if people could find a way to catch up. I think it might be available on the Peacock service that was released? I believe it is, yes. Okay, so I highly recommend people uh, uh, catch up if they haven't been watching, and I, I look forward to it every week, and I'm just uh, I'm just so enjoying That's it. Definitely it's, my favorite. It's great, it's so good. Great recommendation, Neil. I hear phenomenal things about that show. It's, it's, it's fantastic, yeah. It's My phenomenal. stuff we love yeah. this evening, yes, absolutely. My stuff we love this evening is I went earlier today on Disney Plus and I watched the 1944 film, I believe is when it came out, The Three Caballeros, which I really had wanted to see because of how frequently we have gone on the uh, Grand Fiesta boat ride at Mexico in the uh, Epcot World Showcase area. Uh, it's a very fun film. It's a short film, about an hour and 10 minutes, give or take hour, 11 minutes. Um, when you watch the film, there are plenty of scenes that vividly remind you of the ride in Mexico. Uh, the way it looks, the imagery, it just fits in perfectly with that attraction. I love those vintage Disney films. I, I'm glad that a lot of that stuff is available on Disney Plus. I really want there to be even more. And uh, it was a good thing to throw on and easily get through in a short amount of time. Uh, really enjoyed the Three Caballeros. Good music too, and a, a lot of fun to watch. Great recommendation. Yeah, I, I love that Disney Plus has uh, 
all these films available to, to check out. It's, By the way, yeah. this this just now is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast because we had Joe with a brand new video game recommendation, Neil with a brand new TV show recommendation, and then I had a vintage Disney film recommendation. There's so much great stuff we talk about on the show, and of course earlier we talked about the new Taylor Swift album and Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights. It's good stuff all around. So we thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, you may remember from the previous episode that featured Jack and I, we recently made the switch to Podbean for our web and pod hosting uh, services. So there's going to be a lot of great stuff coming to the podcast. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. We hope you're staying safe during this time. Let me just tell you where you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. We are on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. We uh, can be reached at Stuff We Love Podcast at gmail.com. And our website is Stuff We Love Podcast.podbean.com. So please follow us on all those places if you haven't done so already. Subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. And please leave us those good five star reviews on Apple Podcasts because it makes it easier for others to find the show. So, uh, gentlemen, I wish you well. Thank you again for joining me this evening. Thank you. It's fun being here. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, for all of our listeners, be well, be healthy. Uh, let's go around the table one more time. I am Scott. I'm Neil. I'm Joe. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.